Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And welcome to Security Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. My guest this week is live with me in the studio. It's Something I've not done in two years. We've had awful Zoom lines. We've had phone calls that break up. And at last, I've got a studio guest. And I can't wait to tell you about him. But before that, I want to give you a warning sign. Because we're going to talk about eating disorders. And there might be some triggers for you. So if you're affected by what you hear, listen to another episode. There's over 120 episodes of Sikilinska. Go to another episode and come back. It's a hard episode. It's going to be today. It's going to be a hard episode. I'm not going to lie to you. But it's an important one. And if you are affected by what you hear because you've listened to the episode, contact Beat. EatingEatingDisorders.org.uk is the website to go on. It will give you all the information. And it's an amazing place. If you just feel like you want to seek out something that you've heard, if it triggers a few. Now, according to Beat, 1.25 million people in the UK have an eating disorder. My guest this week, well, he used comedy to cut through that. He wanted to cut through the stigmas, the stigmas that can affect men, and he himself had an eating disorder. It was while studying at John Taylor High School that he suffered with an eating disorder when he was 17 years old. Since then, he's, thank God, you know, recovered. I, I don't think you ever fully recover, but the, the process has been there. He's done an incredible TED Talk. He is one of the best comedians in the UK. You'll know him from What the Week and from Taskmaster. It's the brilliant Dave Chawner. What an introduction. I mean, I don't think I can ever be on that. Can you be my, like, my tour manager now, Johnny? How I much, think be how much nice. am I going to get paid? <laughs> do, you, do you want to get paid a Mawam? The balls, though, not the strips, the balls. Really? I, I didn't. I, I always found those a bit weird. I, I, yeah, I find balls a bit weird. Just yeah. generally. What would you say is, I mean, ironically, talking about a, a podcast about eating disorders, what would you think is your favourite sweet? Right. Harry Bow, but not the fantastic. <sighs> it's the ones that have the milk bottles in, and then they're like crunchy jelly like. I'll send you a picture later because I've got a tub of them that I've just mm. made my way through. They're £1.75 in Tesco's for a whole Great. tub of 400 grams. See, it was. I love the specificity of that. <laughs> I would say the heart-shaped ones, like the little, because I love the the different. I, I can't eat them now because I'm vegan. 
How boring is that? You can have vegan Percy Pigs. I, 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 and that has genuinely changed my life. What do you think I got for Christmas? But it was the little heart-shaped ones where you get the little white bit on the back. Oh. It's like foamy and oh. it's like bubbly, the jelly-like. Beautiful it was. Listen, this is why I don't do studio guests anymore for the podcast because <laughs> this is what the conversation becomes. I think, that, is this weird for you? Being yes. in like with, with someone that you can sort of see and talk to? I hate you? it. Do you? <laughs> because I'm, because I, when you're not here and I'm doing yeah. it on the phone. I've now trained myself to perform with right. my arms and my hands and yeah. my pen and I'm in the zone. Whereas now, I'm not, I've am not. i not got my serious voice on. I've got my jokey voice. So I, I prefer that. Do you ever, have you ever, when you've been in the studio and like you've been talking to someone, have you like Googled them or Googled what they've said in order to sort of seem a little bit more authoritative? Have you done that? I do all my research before the interview. Do you? Okay, that's very... I mean, I've mean, i watched your TED Talk. I mean, don't watch that. It's rubbish. That was years ago. I know. Look at well. you now. Like, Look at you now. Big time. Big change. You know, ironically, so it was seven days before that TED Talk, I actually entered treatment. I knew I was going to enter treatment anyway, so it was fine, but I was a lot physically different about that and i think a lot of people felt a little bit uncomfortable about seeing that also here's another thing i when i did that ted talk i got pinched on the bottom by the man that created movember just leave it there i just leave it the the reason was and jt didn't mean to do this, so he was going on after me and my jeans had i didn't realize i had a little tear in the bum then he thought he was chewing gum and he started picking it off and he started and i was like what are you doing and yeah i mean it was it was nothing as what we had a, a laugh about earlier on but yeah that's that's a little fact little fact oh thank you very much dave chawner and more from him next time um <laughs> say i can do the gags as well i can do the gags as well so look let's do, talk about you yes. and this is the other problem because now i'm performing I'm, i want to attention so you can show off and now, i'm now used do. to being in the zone or following on you so we're going to get serious and the serious voice is going to come on great i want you to take me back right let's go back to your childhood the john taylor high school days of Little Dave Chawner, what was life for you like growing up? Brilliant. O- honestly, incredible. And I think one of the things that gets me about mental health is that there's normally a, a sob story. But you know what? I don't want any pity. And that's the podcast on again. I-, <laughs> I honestly, the people I was, I was what we what we used to call a senior bumhead. I was like senior boy. And we, when I went into sixth form, it was the most underfunded school in Staffordshire. And i never forget, I went to our head of sixth form and we did her a deal and we said, look, I know that the school budget is so tight. The sixth form room is falling apart at the seams. If I get a group together that will come in over the summer holidays and paint and reupholster this place, will you give us the keys? And said, Absolutely. And we made a cricket pitch for the jocks. We made sofas for the people that wanted to. We got a subwoofer and it was brilliant. And actually at home, it was it was great. But the anorexia sort of developed accidentally and it wasn't something that i realized that was developing but it was it was actually sort of a product purely because i loved home so much that i didn't want to move on to university and everything felt out of my hands everything felt out of control and everything seemed to start getting better when i started losing weight so it kind of seemed to make sense the more weight i lost the better things would get it's very interesting you say that 
because my biggest weight loss journey was in 2021 and I was 87 kilograms at the beginning and I thought well I need to sort this out I need to get a girlfriend the only way to get a girlfriend is to lose weight and so I lost the weight and it didn't fall it took time but at the lowest so beginning of January 87 kilograms uh july 82.1 kilograms so five kilograms that took a long time and i love my food and i'm very sociable he says um but i'm always at restaurants or getting takeaways etc etc i was the lowest i was ever was and i could see a difference in my face i could see a difference in my body it didn't make me feel happier i didn't feel happier that i was thinner what i've learned in the past year was going on my walks so i do eighteen thousand steps a day three hours walking every single day it's regimented. It's my routine. That's what gets me going. That's when I feel good. Doesn't matter how much I weigh. If I've had a Chinese takeaway and I feel stodgy, it's fine because I know I'm doing my walks. So for you, your weight loss equaled happiness. It was a physical thing, not a mental thing. It's a brilliant point to bring up because I think there's a couple of things. For example, for you, when you started losing your weight, what was the reaction people gave to you? Well, of course, it would be the complex. Oh, you look amazing. I'm like, no, I don't. Why are you saying I've lost weight when I know I'm the exact same weight that I am now and I'm heavy? Don't tell me I look good. And I think at a very formative age for me, when I started losing weight, people said, well done, congratulations, you've lost weight, you look good. So that kind of meant to me that like putting on weight was bad and I didn't want to be bad. I wanted to be good. So the more weight I lost, the more gooder I got in my own sort of twisted mind. And for me, I was never I was never good at sport. I was never good at losing weight. I never enjoyed running. I never enjoyed swimming. I never enjoyed particularly exercising in any sort of way. But it became a way for me to firstly justify myself. I was never cool. I was never sporty. I was never jockey at school. And actually losing weight, becoming the anorexic guy, as my friend sort of jokingly and beautifully jokingly sort of used to refer to me, that gave me an identity label. But also, the genuinely, Johnny, the thing that people get really uncomfortable about is I enjoyed it. And that's not to say that eating disorders are good. That is absolutely not to condone or to promote them. But I think it's really short-sighted when we talk about things like substance abuse to sort of say, oh, they're always terrible. There is a reason that people turn to them. They There is a short-term benefit for a longer-term detriment and a huge detriments and terrible things that happen longer term. But there was a reason that I turned to it. And the reason was that in the short term, it was fun it was good it was enjoyable longer term it took away my uh you know sort of my concentration my intelligence it took away my sense of fun my sense of uh, you know sort of enjoyability with people it took away my sense of heat loads of different things but in the short term where i needed a short-term win it was something to focus on when you're in that moment though and you're going through it manorexia we still don't speak about now enough But this is taking it back to when you were 17 years old, where it really wasn't spoken about. What were the conversations going on around it then? Because we saw it happening in teenage girls, and especially when it comes up to a big event like prom, whereas this was all about you and your image as a guy. A conversation that does not happen now definitely didn't happen then. It's a brilliant question, and I think a couple of things happened. Firstly was people told me 
that I had anorexia. No one asked me. I remember my mom crying and screaming when I'd run home from school in order to try and weigh myself. And she'd go, you're anorexic. And I was like, oh, you've watched a little bit too much curry. This is too much. This is too much drama. What I'm doing is something fun, something enjoyable. But equally, my friend's doing that. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Like, I'm fine. I'm in control. I didn't realize that I was out of control. But equally as well a lot of the things that the anorexia gave me were things that I was running away from. So, for example, when I, you know, so whenever a lot of my friends started going through puberty, they started becoming obsessed with things like boobs and, oh, and I was, I was really good friends with girls and I just remembered what leches and what sort of almost sexual deviance they became as their hormones took over. And the odd thing about uh, restricting food is as you restrict food it starves your body but it also starves your brain and it starts starving out those chemicals like testosterone and I wanted to be an ally I wanted to be friends with girls and actually it reduced that sort of prepubescent like that I was really scared of I was scared of being a lech let's develop that a bit more because that's a conversation that we've never had ever never heard a guy come out and say I didn't know how to talk to girls. I didn't know how to react to girls. So let's just pick that bit apart if that's okay. I, you know what? The honest answer is I, I don't know how you develop that. And, and honestly, in therapy, and it sounds stupid, that was one of the biggest conversations that I had was it's okay to flirt with girls. It's okay to be someone who enjoys their sex drive and I didn't really know how you could do that without being someone that was a little bit for one of a better phrase a little bit Weinstein you know what I mean and I kind of think that there is a a real uh worry in a lot of people that I speak especially when I did Edinburgh I, I did this whole set about how you can enjoy your sex drive honestly the amount of blokes straight blokes but you know it was yeah if I'm entirely honest it was straight blokes coming up to me going like how can you be someone who is not a threat but also someone who enjoys having a sex drive and that's really difficult though there was uh, the Sarah Everard case last year and that was a conversation starter about female safety and a lot of girls come out and said how unsafe they feel and for me there was a conversation in my head of, and I've got many female friends. I get along with girls more than boys. You know, I work in showbiz. Um, and I had to go around to all my female friends and say, have I ever made you feel uncomfortable? Like, no, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, yeah, but when I said that, no, that's us being friendly. We knew that line. And I'm someone, and I presume you're quite similar as your comedian, of you like to just be over that line. You know the line. You want to cross it because you know you can get away with it. It's that cheekiness. You know the You know the boundary. I know the boundary. The girl knows the boundary. To the outside world, that boundary might seem blurred, but everyone knows their place. And so as you were saying, yes, there might have been that flirtiness there, but the intention wasn't there. And it comes back to the intention. What was your intention? Because you can flirt, you can be touchy-feely, but as long as you both know it's not going to be anything more than that, there is nothing wrong with that. Well, it's interesting you talk about Sarah Everard because that that hit home, uh, hit close to home. Because that that was literally half a mile away from my home. 
So that really hit me. And I remember my partner, she completely changed when that happened. I had to go with her whenever she, you know, I met up with her when she was coming back from the station. She was really spooked, understandably. And I think the the problem therein lies of how can you be, put yourself out there, make yourself vulnerable rather than actually overstepping a mark. And I think for me, one of the things that it was really about was intimacy, was about making yourself safely vulnerable. And you know what? This is the truth. And this came up in therapy numerous times. Actually, it's fun to flirt and it's fun to be flirted with. But you have to make sure that it stays fun. It's kind of like, you know, uh, there's that betting line of when the fun stops, stop. And I kind of think it's kind of similar with flirting. When the fun stops there, stop. And I found that really difficult. And this is why I, one of the things that really kind of gets me is I, I wish that we talked about this in sex education in school. I wish that we didn't talk about menstruation. I wish that we'd been talk about, taught about what actually considers, uh, you know, actual consent. What is proper flirting? I think this this is a really important conversation for, for not only blokes, for not only girls, for not only trans, for everybody to have to be like, these are the ground rules. Let's set them and then we can all enjoy. And I think that never happened when I was a kid. Because there's a joy of laughter. There's yeah. a joy of happiness. Those endorphins that get released when you're making someone else happy and it internally it makes you happy as well. And you know, you know, I can make a joke or two, you know. And the fact that you could do that. So... Let's focus on you as a comedian. So where did that all begin? Because then we'll bring it together with the way that you felt externally as well as internally. So when was that moment you thought, do you know what? I'm actually quite funny. Oh, I've, I've never been funny. I mean, I never will be funny. But the thing that got me about humour, I will never forget. I went to university and we used to go to this thing called the Laughter Lounge. It was once every two weeks. And I saw people like Chris Addison. I saw people like John Richardson. We saw people like uh, Stuart Lee. And the thing that I loved, genuinely that I loved, was they were talking about really dark things. They were talking about being broke. They were talking about being single. They were talking about being a dad and they didn't know how to be a dad. These are really serious issues. But the fact that they took that sort of darkness and played with it was amazing. And I thought, you know what? Like, I would absolutely love to do that. Because I never forget in 2002, three, uh, it was Stephen Fry released a documentary called My Bipolar and Me. And that that struck such a chord with me. And that was the first time I'd ever thought about my mental health and I thought mm, you know what maybe I do have a problem with my mental health and when I went and saw comedy I loved that you know what there are, there are very few comics out there that talk about being too successful too rich too good with you know women you know if you take Russell Brand out of that equation there's no one really and I thought that was amazing that, that stand-ups are losers they're underdogs they talk about things people don't want to talk about and i thought that was there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Brilliant. In order to make things more palatable that people get uncomfortable talking about. I'm going to say it to you. Uh, I don't take this offensively, but there are a lot of comics that I've met in my time, very famous comics, who are miserable, who are unhappy, and away from the camera. You see them on TV, you're like, oh my god, you're hilarious, you're so funny, you're so outgoing, can't wait to meet you, we'll get a selfie, we'll laugh. Miserable. Don't want to be here. Just, no. But, that light goes on, they go on stage, and they perform, and do they perform, and they do. You're not like that. You're very outgoing. But, the comedians that I meet who are like that, I'm so shocked by it, but now I'm normalised to it. It's interesting you use the word underdog there, and, you know, it, it, the stage is there. You know, the stage, the light's on the stage, and then you perform. So where were you on the performance level growing up? It's a great question, because I, I actually think I'm a grumpy old man. Like, mentally, I think I'm about 60, 70, 80 and I think a lot of comics chase the dragon. And I think you initially see this person on stage making fun, making friends with the audience. And that I'd be like balls of one eyes. That was what it got. That that was the thing that got me about comedy. It brought you people. It brought you friends. It brought you friendship. That was what was most important to me and I think when I was at school I was so lucky to have so many amazing people that were that were in my year but they were either sporty they were either intelligent they were either good at music I had nothing so I had to learn from a very very early age to have something and just silly stupid jokes became a cut through to get to be honest attention and that's horrible and that's terrible to admit and and i get really uncomfortable about the brashiness 
of comedy and I really do think that it's amazing over the past sort of 10-15 years how it's changed it's been less more the bully more of the bullied that are talking about comedy but I I never think comedy should be about uh, being the loudest person in the room I think comedy should be full of freaks and weirdos trying to explain why they are like they are in order to make other people feel comfortable we obviously know the big comedians and you'll see someone like, you know, a, a child will watch The Wheel at the moment. I mean, they'll see Mark McIntyre or they'll watch Blankety Blank and they'll see Bradley Walsh or they'll watch The Week of Six and they'll see one of my But we know that the TV at its peak is there. But the training that goes into it, you don't see. We don't see you going to the little uh, events where you, you know, do comedy to one person or an empty room. We don't see... Oh, look, you're going to Edinburgh Fringe for the first time. That first big moment. You don't see the Chortle Awards. You don't see all that grafting that goes in. And there is so much grafting. You don't become Michael McIntyre overnight. You've got to graft and graft and graft. Then, obviously, as someone like you do, you do the punditry with a comedic tale, which works incredible for you. Again, that hard work. But that's what you say about making friends. The fact that the audience... Need, you need that audience, you need to thrive off them you need them to keep coming back, you're building up a fan base and that doesn't happen overnight, it's not like you go on Love Island, you're a comedian oh, you've got your show, bang, you're the big thing, you've got to work that for 10, 20 years, you're not going to be famous overnight and that must be really hard, because it must get to that point of going, I've done Edinburgh 50 times why have I still not been picked up yet I've literally come to a venue, I've driven for 4 hours, there's one person here and I'm not even getting paid, what is the point of me being here? You know what's the worst thing? And and genuinely, and I don't think a lot of people admit this, and I'll, I'll be completely balls to all honest here, the worst, the hardest thing for me is seeing people that I started out with that I genuinely love, that I not only know are incredible performers that are better than me, that are not only amazing people and have always stood by me, but getting further than you and you instantly feel that pang of jealousy for something that you didn't want and i could name you a litany of names people like the amazing dame baptiste the amazing tez Ilias, and this this whole series of mock the week is incredible people like tom ward people like esther Manito, people like rialina who you will know and they will be household names give it six to twelve months time Honestly, for me, the hardest thing about comedy is these incredible people that I really support. It's that instant pang of jealousy for something that I I never, I'll tell you now, I will never be on Live at the Apollo. That's not the sort of act that I am. And that's not bitterness. For people that do it, fair play. But the thing that I find hardest is that it can, the whole industry can set you up to feel like you're competing for one or two places when that's not the truth. I'm going to ask a question. It's a very industry and it's a very niche question, but your answer will depend, first of all, if we keep this question in, and second of all, it will depend how much the listener listening will understand the industry and will relate it to other things afterwards. Big celebrities, their goal is really presenters who want to be on this morning, it's to be with James Grant Management, the YMU group. And you've got then uh, Intertalent with Jonathan Shalett. And that's like secondary, I would say. And you've got John Lowell. And that's that side. Then in the comedic world, you've got Avalon. Avalon Talent are the big dogs. Then you've got Gabby Gerard, a dear friend of mine, who will look after all of Edinburgh. 
And then you've got impressive PR, who do a bit of comedy as well. Is there competition for yourself, within yourself, about who's representing you? Are you good enough to be on an Avalon roster? Oh, me, Look who no. else is on Avalon's, uh, Avalon's rosters, because the Avalon rosters are the big comedians. Do you know what? I, I honestly think comedy is a tin pot industry, and a lot of people that I know that are with Off The Curb or Avalon... Amanda Emery, Alison Peters. The, uh, the, now it's all coming back to me. Yeah. And and they apologise for it. I'll never forget, there is a brilliant comic who I love, and I've known for years now, called Ivo Graham, and he's done Mock the Week, he's done Love of the Apollo, and I'll never forget, I went to see The the Last Leg, and I know the, the head writer of The Last Leg, so we got invited to the, um, the, the after-show party, and there was Harry Hill there, there was, I think it was Russell Howard, and obviously Adam Hills and Josh Whittacombe were there, and, pardon me, the week before... I'd done Mock the Week and Ivo had been on it. And it was the third or fourth time. And I said, how, how is it doing Mock the Week? Because I do the stand-ins for Mock the Week, but I've never been on it. And I said, how is it? And he went, I lose respect for Mock the Week for having me on. Because it used to be Frankie. It used to be Russell. It used to be Andy. It used to be all of these big names. And I think that is the thing. You are chasing the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And actually, I think there is a massive imposter syndrome in comedy. No matter who you are represented, whether it's Avalon, Off the Curb, whether it is Blue Book Management, no matter who it is, it will never be big or bold enough. And I think that I know that Dario Brian still has a kind of insecurity that he's not Eddie Izzard. And I'm sure that Eddie Izzard has an insecurity that he's not Billy Connolly. And Billy Connolly worries that he's not Dave Allen. There are always better interpretations that you could be. And I think, to be honest, unfortunately, the most successful people feed off that insecurity in order to push them forward. So it's very difficult in order to be like, I'm okay. It's interesting you bring up imposter syndrome because you beautifully moved the conversation on to imposter syndrome. That was the third part of the conversation I wanted to discuss with you. Because you're your own worst enemy. You know, it's only you. You're on your stage. It's your stage. You own that stage. And you're an individual. It's not like you're in a double act. It's not like you're in a group. It's very much about you. And no matter how many people you've got around you, only you are going to accept yourself. So have you found yourself growing up in the comedic industry, being on stage as Dave Chorn of the comedian and as Dave Chorn of the individual? You know what? I think that's a great point. And, and honestly, I think one of, the, one of the honest points about that is that one of my biggest limitations at the moment is myself. So talking about eating disorders, talking about mental health, talking about mental illness, I've had so many people that have said, oh, I like this bit, I like that bit, but because it doesn't have a constant joke structure, because it doesn't have a constant hit rate, I've dumped so much material in favour of what will get the laughs. And I think if you want to be a proper comic, someone that is a genuine trailblazer, you have to have that incredible confidence that I don't have. And I think that that imposter syndrome really, really holds me back. And I know it does. And I'm very jealous of people that can go out there, like James Acaster. I'll never forget, I saw him at a really early gig and he instantly stood out as an incredible amazing comic and i think i don't have that confidence to be so different and i wish i did i really genuinely wish i did 
2022 is the year. How do you feel now within yourself, bringing this all together for now? Great question. I think one of the things that I found when I was younger and a lot more impressionable, I always guiltily and secretly aspired to be the top. And I actually now genuinely do think that there is a huge pull, a, a huge power in just being on the team bus, being part of something that you love. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're the best. It obviously doesn't mean that you are the worst. Just being involved. If you can genuinely be happy to be involved, I actually think that's all right. And I think there's one of the things that gets lost in a, an age of social media and online presence and a lot of those metrics is sustainability. And I actually think sustainability comes over years. So just enjoying doing what you're doing, ticking along, not trying to create too much of a stir. That's my kind of paradigm. It's don't try and do anything too crazy. Just enjoy it and have a lovely time and maybe a clip along the way. Do you know what I love about that is I am in the exact same thought process as of a year ago of where I am in my showbiz world of, oh my God, look, that person's getting booked and that person's getting booked. And why am I not being booked to talk about TV? And then it'll come to talking about reality TV and I'll be booked and I'll be booked and I'll be booked. And then Christmas comes and I'll always be booked and I'll be on talk radio every single day in the lead up and post Christmas talking about TV because that's my niche. That's what I'm known for. That's what I'm good at. I don't need to do any research. That's me. I don't need to do cultural wars. I don't need to do the showbiz that I don't really know about. I'm not comparing myself to others. It's interesting to use the word sustainability because for those that don't know, there's a lot of celebrities you'll see all over the papers. They are paying two grand a month for PR. Two grand to be papped once or twice a month. Two grand to go to two events in the likelihood of getting papped. But then depending on who else is there, let's say it's part of Britain Awards or TV Awards, realistically they're going to make the papers over philip and holly no and that's where we are at as you save the metrics it's okay well i was in the news today great are you in the news tomorrow well hold on a minute you're in the news last week now you're not current and i know right i've spent i've had a blue tick on twitter for i don't know six years i've been trying for the past four years to get a blue tick on instagram since they opened up the forms can't get it every time i get a load of press and i get quite a lot of press especially for the podcast I'll go, right, I'm in 10 articles today. I'm going to go and try and get verified on Instagram again because that's going to verify me. That's for me. No. What does that mean if I got, I got a blue tick on Twitter? It doesn't mean anything. I mean, it helps me book people and it helps notice if I message someone. But realistically, it's not going to do anything to me. I don't get paid for it. And it's interesting how much we define ourselves online based on verification, based on followers. And as we said, bringing this together for you, Dave, is as a comedian... It's the seats that you sell. It doesn't matter how big you are on TV, how much exposure you're getting there. Yeah, you could get on the week once a week. Yeah, you could get on Taskmaster. Yes, you could even get on I'm Safe to get me out of here. But for you, it's your job to be a comedian. And therefore, you need to be selling the seats at the local venues where you're earning your craft, but also actually earning the money so you can live and be happy with your actual amenities. I, I completely agree. And what's what's really odd as well is... Honestly, the most successful people I've ever met are the most pejorative about their own 
craft about their own experience. I'll never forget, like, so when I was doing the, the stand-ins for Taskmaster, me and, like, I was talking to Greg Davis, and he was sort of saying that, like, you know, I mean, this was, like, in the sixth or seventh series. It was kind of sort of early tours. Uh, but he was still sort of saying people just shout to him, Gilbert. At, uh, of the in-betweeners. Of, of course, of the in-betweeners. He was like, he said, and I really respected him, he was like, I'm not going to forget which side my bread is buttered. I... I absolutely know that people, most people know me from the in-betweeners. I'm not going to sniff at that. And I think there's a, a real point in that of like just kind of trying to appreciate where you are, but also being avaricious for what you want to do, but specifically rather than what it will afford you, actually just enjoying it for what it is. And yeah, I think more and more people need to talk about being the underdog being the imposter syndrome and that to be honest that's one of the big shows i'm doing this year it's called underdog and it's all about being an underdog in comedy i i could bore you and i realize we need to draw this to a close but i have so many friends that have started so much later than me that are so much more successful for than me in comedy and that has really got me down for so long but actually now i'm trying to enjoy that team spirit of you know what being on the same bill of them being being able to have a beer with them afterwards and actually realizing that at the end of the day it really is about the long game and enjoying the sort of longer success rather than the small term things okay well let's talk small term for now the next year men 2022 what conversations need to be had Great question. And I think this beautifully rounds off with something that I'm working on at the moment. It's called Comedy for Coping. I think mental health has never been talked about more. Amazingly. Actually, I think mental illness has never been talked about more. But mental health gets forgotten. One in four people has mental illness. Four in four people have mental health. And I've always said that, you know, and I think that's really important. But one of the things that gets me is that people get uncomfortable talking about mental health. So I've set up a comedy course trying to teach people with mental health conditions that are diagnosed or undiagnosed in order to talk about their mental health using comedy as a way to, like we talked about earlier on, draw people towards you, to make it more palatable, to make it more fun and actually talk about you don't have to be at the end of your tether in order to get help for your mental health. You don't have to be mentally ill in order to care about your mental health. In the same way that you don't have to be ill in order to go to the gym, you don't have to be ill in order to talk about your mental health. Where can people go for more information? Comedyforgoping.com Brilliant. Dave Chawner, an amazing comedian. If you're affected by anything you've heard, beateatingdisorders.org.uk. If you've got any worries, information you want to find out about eating disorders, go there. Check out Dave's website for comedy for coping. And then on Instagram, Security and Secure Podcast, at Johnny Seafoot. Please go and rate the podcast, like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, tell everyone. I've got a studio guest at last. Let's celebrate the fact that Dave Chawner has joined me. Johnny Seafoot here on Security and Secure. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.